This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today I am excited to welcome back my friend Dr. Cassidy Freitas to the show. Dr. Cassidy is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a mom of three, has a private practice in California, and also has her Instagram platform, at Dr. Cassidy. Dr. Cassidy has been on in the past in episode 38, Understanding Scary and Intrusive Thoughts, and she was also on episode 106, Discovering Your Personal Core Values. Today, Dr. Cassidy is joining us to help us unpack the transition of going from maternity leave back into the workplace. There are so many variables when it comes to going back to work after baby. The length of the leave that you had, the level of readiness you feel, how healed you are or how anxious you are. There's so many factors. And in today's episode, Dr. Cassidy and I talk through ways to cope with and manage this transition and also how to redistribute some of the workload and care work that is involved when you start to integrate back into your workplace. As working moms ourselves who run our own businesses while also each parenting three children, we've done this transition before and know just how hard it can be. We can learn some ways to cope and manage together through my conversation with Dr. Cassidy. Nobody prepares us for scary thoughts in motherhood. So when visions of frightening things flash into our brains, it can be very concerning. These thoughts can make us question our ability as moms, wonder if there's something wrong with us, or fear the worst. We might even find ourselves avoiding daily tasks because of the fear of something bad happening. But what if you could let these thoughts go as easily as they come? What if you could quiet them before they affect you? What if you could learn to manage these thoughts? Our scary thoughts might seem random and uncontrollable, but they are normal and they are manageable. Dr. Reem, Psyched Mommy, and I created a workshop when your thoughts become scary, understanding and managing repetitive intrusive thoughts to help parents learn how to overcome these thoughts. If you missed our live workshop, don't worry because a replay is now available. You'll get lifetime access to the recording so you can watch at your own pace and revisit the workshop whenever you need. In this workshop, you'll learn how to understand scary thoughts and why you're having them, know what to do when a scary thought pops up, and find peace of mind and regain trust in yourself again. You can learn to put yourself in the driver's seat and keep your thoughts in check. Head to happyasamother.co slash scary thoughts to register today. That's happyasamother.co slash scary thoughts.
Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Dr. Cassidy, thank you so much for taking the time to be back here with us today. And I was joking with you that I need to schedule you in just so you and I can have some time together. I miss you, friend. Thank you for being here. I love you. Any chance, any chance I get to come and chat with you about like honestly anything, Erica, like we could talk about going back to work. We could talk about the real housewives. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll talk to you about all the things. Anytime you hit me up, I'll find some space because I love you so much. We really could. And we have so much overlap. And so when I thought about this topic of back to work, it's something that comes up in so many different conversations and in different contexts, Canadian versus US and all sorts yeah. of different times people transition back. But you came to mind and, and you recently went through this transition yourself as well. And yeah. I've been through it three times as well. So yeah, I'm excited and ready to dive in on this. Your transition back was, oh my goodness, about a year ago now. So I had my third, I had Junie back in July, 2020. She's almost two. And Things had to shift because of a global pandemic, and there was interesting dynamics that came with that. But yeah, I've had three transitions from maternity leave back to work. And again, not just navigating my own leave, but also with my partner navigating him going back to work at different stages um, when I was you know, either still at home or I'm going back to school and like, now he's home. So there's so many different ways in which this transition to work can look for a family. And I think it's mm-hmm. so important to talk about all the different layers because it can be it can be really, really hard. <laughs> there can be so much that comes up. I feel like I got a pretty quick education in some of the differences and the nuances when I first started out on Instagram in my theory sort of bubbled Canadian perspective on motherhood and maternity leave. And my experience personally was like, I was more than ready to go back to work. Like we have the Mm -hmm. option for a 12 to 18 month leave. And by the time we take that time, we feel so lost in our role that it's like, please like get me, you know, some adult conversation or something outside of this day to day mothering, maybe not for everybody, but certainly for me. And then really just listening and hearing people's stories at that time about the varying amounts of leave that people get. And I would say, and I would imagine you can inform me more on this, that that really plays into their level of readiness to reintegrate back into the workplace. Oh, for sure. 
There are so many feelings that can be associated with this transition. And one of them that I often find myself talking to my clients about is anger. And anger can show up in so many different ways, you know, primary emotion, because we may feel like it feels like a violation, right? Like it doesn't mm. feel fair. Um, and here in the US, <laughs> with the very limited paid leave that we have and the very limited support that working moms in particular and dads too, because paternity leave is also just not great here in the US. Like that anger can be a real core emotion that we feel of just like this feels like a violation. Like this feels like a violation of my rights as a parent. And then anger can show up in a lot of other, maybe more secondary ways. It pops up when maybe underneath we're feeling, you know, helpless or unsupported mm -hmm. or unseen. But yeah, the leave piece and how much support we get from our government and from our employer, it makes a huge difference. And then there's so much nuance even within that. I know plenty of folks, and I myself with my first, I had four months off, and I remember having this feeling of actually really wanting to go back to work, like being jealous that my husband was able to like leave and go to work and connect with you know, that part of his identity and have these adult conversations. I was feeling really overwhelmed. I was really struggling with anxiety at home. And I missed that sense of like, I know how to do this because I felt like I didn't know what the heck I was doing mm -hmm. at home. And I missed that like sense of like accomplishment and like positive feedback that I would get at work. And ugh. and, then, and then, then the guilt of like, why do I have these sort of feelings or shame? Like what's wrong with me that I'm having these feelings? So so many complexities here, Erica. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I look at it through the lens of the work we do and from a mental health perspective, right? And we know how common things like postpartum depression and anxiety are. And we know that often they don't get identified until three to four months postpartum. And if we're right in the middle of a transition during that time, or I am like smack in the middle of my postpartum anxiety experience, and I'm thinking about having to leave my infant in the care of somebody else, like the paralysis that I like, I feel just in thinking about that, right? Yeah. So like our mental health and how we're coping plays a role in this transition, not to pathologize the transition in itself, because I think in itself, it's humongous, right? Like it comes with its own worries and anxieties. And that's understandable. And that makes sense. But I think that the added layer here could be like, if we're already not coping very well. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. And when you look at the research, a lot of my research when I was getting my PhD was around paternal postpartum depression. So dad's struggling after baby with depression. And the study that I did was really looking at experts in the field, trying to come up with some sort of consensus because this was an area of research that was, there was not a lot out there. And so one of the things that I asked was like, when does this typically show up for dads? And the experts around the world, right, were indicating around this like three to four month period. And we were hypothesizing of what that could be about. And I think a big part of it was this transition. So maybe the birth partner at that point in time is going back to work. 
And now the couple is having to navigate roles, expectations, you know, division of labor. And, you know, now maybe, maybe the birth parent has been taking on a lot of the load around like nighttime parenting. And now it's like, okay, I've, you know, not to say that the birth parent wasn't already working all day, but just a different little infant boss and also is very deserving of that restorative rest at night. But now it's like, wait, like I, I need you to start doing nighttime parenting too. And like, you know, all of a sudden now that parent is stepping in a little bit more because, you know, it's really, you know, being asked of them, but maybe they're not doing it the way the other partner is doing it. There's just like so much stuff that can come up mm. around that transition. And so I wonder if, for the listeners, if it would be supportive if we kind of broke it down a little bit. Like what are some of the things that can come up when your partner goes back to work and you're still at home? And then Mm -hmm. when you go back to work or when both of you are working and what that might look like, or if you're the individual that is going back to work and your partner is staying at home. I don't know, Eric, what do you think? Should we kind of talk about these these different sort of scenarios and what can come up for a family? Yeah, I think it's a really great place to highlight because there's a few transitions here that happen. But you've touched on something also that's really important where we assume there's going to be a redistribution of the labor when we integrate back into work, but our gendered roles and the patterns that we've fallen into aren't always conducive to distributing the labor or we fall back into patterns. And, And so what I hear from clients most often is now, They're supposed to work like they don't have a child and mother like they don't have to work. And there's this real like weight and responsibility on them. So I think that we can also cap off this conversation perhaps with like some ways to even open up those conversations because we get stuck in those roles, don't we? 100%. That is like such a big part of it when we get to this point of like, okay, so how do we actually navigate this transition with more ease, right? And with support. So first, it's kind of like paint a picture of like, what can this look like? So let's say that you, you know, your partner is going back to work and you're going to be staying at home. When that happens, you know, there's a lot that can come up. There can be some, as I said, anger, right? Anger that, you know, that they're leaving, (laughs) that they get to go back and reintegrate with that part of their identity. There can be anger or frustration around boundaries, right, with work. There can be grief. I think grief and anger can kind of dance with each other around this because even if your partner only had two weeks off, right, gosh, that's like so not enough. But let's say they even just had those two weeks off. Maybe for those two weeks, you knew that like their colleagues, their coworkers, their boss, you know, their employer kind of had the sense of like, okay, we're going to kind of leave you alone, <laughs> you know, like, um, and you were in this like little bubble where it was just, you know, just you guys. And it kind of felt protected. And when your partner goes back into work, it can feel like that bubble is bursting a little bit. And all of mm. a sudden, these other folks have access to you in a way that maybe they didn't before. And it can be concerning because potentially, you know, life before baby looked a certain way in terms of boundaries with work, what time they got home or how accessible they were. And gosh, like that's got to shift because your Mm. life looks different. And so, you know, one of the things, and we can kind of maybe highlight this a little bit more too, in terms of what we can be doing, but it can be so important to be having those conversations with our partner 
and with employers, right? In terms of like, what are these boundaries going to look like? What's going to shift or change? There can also Mm -hmm. be anxiety about being home alone. You know, research indicates, and you and I talk a lot about this in terms of like scary intrusive thoughts and just anxiety in general after baby and why we are actually so at risk for that. You know, research indicates there can actually be this like transient kind of OCD, you know, in a very, you know, healthy postpartum person to experience just like a really big increase in Mm -hmm. intrusive thoughts and anxiety. And when you have someone at home with you, right, so that when the baby's crying or, you know, they're not sleeping or they're not feeding, that you have someone else you can turn to and be like, is this normal? Like, how do we troubleshoot this? And when your partner leaves, now you're you're home alone and it's all on you. And the pressure of that can definitely contribute to an increase in that anxiety. As you're talking about it, I can so vividly remember like each of these transitions when I was postpartum where the first time, the like first go at being parents, we like thought, oh, he'll be home for a week. And I'm like, at the end of week one, I'm like, please, for the love of God, do not go back to work. Like just stay (laughs) home another week. Like I can't do it. Like I'm still like we had hardly established feeding. He's helping me like wash all the pumping supply. Like it was such a wild roller coaster, right? Yeah. And so I think that like it brings such strong emotions with it. And oh, it's such a complicated time. Like even when he would not take on things like extra with work. For example, we were at this stage in our careers where we were doing a lot of still like education and licensing and exams and things like that. So if it was something that would pop up in the form of like something that would cognitively be like not a drain, but like a something that he would be involved in and invested in. I saw that as like a direct withdrawal from my like emotional support Yeah, Yeah. because I'm like, whatever you add to your plate means you have that much less space in your being to support the process that I'm on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And there can just be so much resentment that, you know, can come from that. You know, I think, and we've mentioned this before, but like sleep is just like everything during this season of your life, right? Like consumes so much of your like mental load and like energy and all of that. And I remember like when my husband went back to work, it was just sort of like, we didn't really talk about it. Right. And this Mm -hmm. is what we need, like you and I will address this later, like why it's important to actually have these conversations. We just kind of fell into the space where I did all the nighttime parenting because he was quote unquote working. Even though, like, when I woke up, I was in Groundhog's Day with a baby, you know, my baby boss, you know, like 24 seven, like, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and we just kind of fell into that. And it definitely exacerbated my anxiety because I was sleep deprived. And also, you know, it impacted our relationship as, Mm. you know, as a couple too, for sure. And I know Mm -hmm. from, you know, now my partner and I doing a lot of work and working with a lot of couples that for my husband or for the partner that goes back to work, whichever Mm -hmm. partner that is, there's a lot of stuff that can come up there too. There can be grief and sadness, right, about going back to work or feeling jealous that your partner gets to stay home with your child and you can come back home almost feeling like a little bit like a third wheel, you know, like you guys Mm. are getting to know each other. And there can be what's been reported to me a lot when I work with couples is like just feeling kind of helpless 
and like mm-hmm. not relevant, right? Or like uncertain, like when they feel like I do kind of want to jump in and like, you know, help with feeding or with a nap or with putting the baby down or with when the baby's crying. And I just feel like I don't know how to do this as well as my partner does, or I feel awkward and just feeling really shitty about that. And But then what can happen mm-hmm. is so then they, they maybe don't, or if they do and there's any sort of like, you know, you're not doing it right sort of feedback that they perceive, then they might just withdraw, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you've got one partner who's carrying this load, another one who's feeling kind of helpless if they don't know how to fit in. And all of those can be risk factors for depression, for anxiety, for relational challenges. And so I think what's overall in this so important to support couples in doing is having conversations before your baby's here, before that transition back to work happens, where you're talking about things like what are the boundaries going to be with work? What are the roles going to be? Like putting everything on the table. I have a you know back to work conversation starter kit that I'll share a link for your listeners to download. It's free where mm-hmm. I kind of walk you through like putting all the things on the table, you know, because it's not just the like visible tasks, right? Mm-hmm. That we're trying to figure out like when one goes back to work, like how are we going to navigate this? It's not just the taking care of, of the baby during the day and nighttime parenting or cooking and cleaning. It's also, and I know you talk so much about this, but like those invisible tasks, right? The invisible load Mm. in terms of, you know, figuring out like, you know, doctor appointments or watching the like baby sleep classes so that we can figure out how to navigate sleep and putting all of these pieces on the table, including what the person who's working is carrying. We're putting it on the table and we're making the invisible load and visible loads, very transparent, and then having a really open conversation around how we're going to divvy up these roles. What are some of our expectations that we might be bringing into this transition, maybe from what's been modeled to us, right? Or what Mm. we just thought was going to happen. And just having transparency and like talking it out. If you find that like as you're having these conversations, you're kind of getting stuck, you're getting caught in these like cycles of like defensiveness or like, you know, criticism, that might be a signal that having support, you know, in place can be really Mm -hmm. helpful. And, you know, also before this transition happens, maybe even doing some trial runs, you know, of having uh, the partner who will be transitioning into work, you know, leaving the house for a little bit talking about what are the rituals going to look like when that parent comes home? Because I know what can be a really sticky point for my husband and I and for other couples is maybe one partner's been working all day, the other one's been at home. You're both tired (laughs) for various Mm -hmm. reasons. One Mm -hmm. wants to like pass baby over to be not touched for a little bit. One just wants to decompress from work to transition back into like their role as parent. So what is that sort of coming home ritual going to look like between the two of you? And having these conversations before, before this transition happens, I think can be really, really protective. Mm -hmm. It makes me think about conversations that I've had with my husband about the sheer just like definition and concept of work because we prioritize our partner's time 
often, right? So like if we're the one home with baby and they're the one making the income, it's like, well, they're making an income. So I have to be the nighttime parent and I have to be the one doing all of these things. And really we do it at a cost of our mental health and physical health and well-being. And I was speaking with Dr. Nicole, a psychiatrist and, and therapist and researcher recently. And she was saying that like mom is a resource and we cannot burn her out in the first few months of postpartum, right? Like there have to be protective factors in place. We need to sustain this journey and not just go like all out in the first leg of the race. And so nighttime wake-ups and feedings and work are meant for more than one person. Yeah. And however that feels fair when discussed and however it gets distributed might look different. If you've got somebody working an office job and they can be a little bit more sleepy in the day, or if you've got somebody who goes on shift in a like healthcare, maybe they need a night's sleep, but like, yes. how do we have this conversation in a way that we are considering and thinking about each other? Totally. Absolutely. I think it's so important when we kind of step into these conversations with each other to come at it from this sort of like, I love to visualize. I like really do this. I'll visualize my husband and I, before we have a hard conversation, like it's him and me, like shoulder to shoulder. And we're looking out at the problem, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. like the problem's over here. And then here's the two of us who at the end of the day, underneath, we both want the other to see like, I'm a good person who like wants to like do the best thing for us, you know, like just really giving each other that like really generous interpretation of each other. And when we come in with that perspective, looking out at the problem as this thing outside of us that we're going to together try to navigate and figure out, it just really shifts what that conversation tends to look like. And you know what? Like we didn't just get there on our own. I'm a therapist, but I can't be my my relationship therapist. So mm-hmm. we went to couples therapy to really support us in like, and positioning ourselves in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that it's so important to have these conversations. Okay. So you mentioned feeding and it just brings to mind the stressors that I had when I was going back to work, when I was anticipating my own transition back to work. And the things that came up for me and that I know from the folks that I work with, individuals that I work with, comes up for them too. A couple things. One, for sure feeding. Like just feeling completely overwhelmed by the idea of we just started to figure out like our own feeding journey. I I was breastfeeding. I need to figure out pumping, like where I'm going to pump and how to maintain like, you know, my milk supply and making sure my baby's going to take a bottle and so important and so helpful to work with a lactation consultant like during your pregnancy, you know, before baby's here, you know, just to figure out some of those components. And once your baby is here, figuring out the pumping, figuring out the supplies that you're going to need and how to introduce bottles. And then also talking to your employer about things like, where am I going to be able to pump? The lactation consultant should share with you what your rights are in your location and then talking to your employer about it to make sure that your rights are being honored in terms of a place to pump, where you're going to be storing milk, how those pumping breaks are going to happen. And then what also comes with this is the other component, the other factor of childcare, mm-hmm. the person who's going to be with your child. And that feeding comes into play there in terms of 
figuring out what that's going to look like. But I know that one thing that happened for me, I don't know if you can relate to this, Erica, I'm sure listeners can, is that it felt like the minute my baby was born, there was like this internal like clock, like countdown Mm -hmm. to when I was going back to work. And sometimes it really stole some of the presence for me, like with my kid, it stole some of the joy of like that time. I mean, there's plenty of other like like thieves of joy during postpartum, sleep deprivation, anxiety, a lot of those (laughs) things. We've got lots of episodes that talk about those pieces. But one of them was like just the anxiety about going back to work and just knowing that like Mm -hmm. the sort of feeling that like I'm going to go back to work and like this chapter ends, you know, and then the anxiety of like, gosh, now I need to figure out like childcare and like we got to interview people for hiring someone or figuring out what that's going to look like. So I 10 out of 10 recommend doing some of the, especially childcare planning work before your baby is born because the load that that can be in terms of stress is it can be really it can be a lot, especially when you're also navigating taking care of a baby and sleep deprived, mm-hmm. and you're going to already be a little bit more on the anxious side because of the postpartum brain. Like figuring those things out ahead of time can be really protective of just your energy and that anxiety and that stressor. Just working together as a couple to figure out what that's going to look like before, even before your baby is born, because I know that can be a big stressor for folks is figuring out the childcare piece. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. 
choosing six to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save $5. There's been some conversations in light of like recommendations that came down the pipeline that, you know, we should be nursing up to two years. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly who that came from recently in the just past couple weeks. And how like insensitive of like the timing that it felt given the like mental health crisis and state of moms and lack of support for, you know, parental leave and things like that. And I think that there is this real assumption that like, oh, like feeding is like, yes, it's, it's healthy for them and whatever, but also that, that it's like free. Yeah. But it's like how many hours a week and how many like, I think it's something like 40 hours a week or something crazy. And don't quote me, I got to get the stats. We'll put them in the blog post of this episode. But it's like an enormous amount of time that goes into feeding and pumping that in itself is like a full-time job. And that's just one of the many pieces, right? And so I would even introduce a conversation here of like, you know, yes, breastfeeding is free, but there is a cost associated. There's time, there's stress, there are mental health yes. stressors. So if you are pumping at work and you are half naked in your office and you are dying inside, like it is not like worth it for your mental health at that point, right? Like there's gotta be a line drawn oh in the gosh. sand where we're just like, this is not okay for me, you know? Totally. When that came out, the like to your recommendation, and I totally understand, like, the intent here is we want to support breastfeeding of parents, right? And, you know, longer term breastfeeding. And like, I think there's a lot of implications that are going to actually do that, support parents more. But there's also this part of me, it's like, you guys read the room. Like we have a formula shortage. <laughs> like, like we're like, yeah. we haven't addressed like better paid leave. Like, Oh my gosh. And now we're just adding this, like, read the room, read the room. Yeah. Like adding pressure, right? Yeah, Yeah. totally. But I remember 
with my first, with Riley. So over a decade ago, I was working in a family medicine clinic as an intern therapist. And the room that they gave me to pump in was the room that we would do therapy sessions in where our supervisors could watch. So there was like this, a feed into the room where like they could watch it from another room. (laughs) And so there's like a camera like up in the corner. And I'd always make sure that I put like a note, like do not turn on this feed because I'm going to (laughs) be pumping like half naked in this room. But it was really uncomfortable for me to pump in this room with a camera up there. And Mm -hmm. the stress of that on top of so many other things that were happening during that period of time really led me to explore supplementing, right? But that Mm -hmm. came up with so much other stuff too. It came with shame. Like, am I a bad mom for making this choice, right? Which I could, you know, I could take that message apart for you all day long with all the things that are not true about that. But at the time... That was the thought. That was the part of me that was popping up was like, am I a bad mom for making this decision for, you know, am I just not creative enough, strong enough? Do I not have enough grit for this? Like, oh, all of those thoughts that I know so many other parents could connect with. And at the end of the day, when we made that choice, it was one of the best decisions that we made was to supplement for my mental health, for my for my marriage, for for so many things. Mm-hmm. But I, I know that part of that feeling of shame was like also this resentment that maybe if I wasn't a working mom, I wouldn't have had to supplement, you know? Mm. And just the added sort of message that, you know, comes from the discourses around us, around how we should feed our child how much time a mother should spend with her child, what her priorities should be, all of the shoulds that I would like to shit on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to have to mark this like, episode as yeah. explicit, Erica. <laughs> like, there's so much stuff that comes there um, and a lot of gender discourses too. I think that one of the greatest gifts we can give to ourselves in a time of transition such as this is flexibility Oof. because – I remember setting expectations for myself before being in the transition or before being back to work and holding those rigidly, right? Like I'm going to pump and I'm going to keep my feet up and I'm going to do all these things. Mind you, I went back at a different stage as well. The pressure was still felt, but I think it was even less because I was further along in my like, you know, mat leave going back to 10, 11 months or something in that range. And then being at work, Hardly having time in between clients, being on the ground level of the building with no blinds on the window, pumping and half naked, no lock on the door, like tubes and things everywhere. They didn't have these little ones that you slip in your bra that they developed in the past like year or two. And I was on maternity leave. So it was like there was nothing discreet about it. Yeah. And then the added just like so much pressure and things. And so if there's something that we can do for ourselves, it is to sure, maybe have a goal. Sure, maybe have an intention, but be flexible and willing to reevaluate based on the actual capacity and like realistic data of the moment versus like the romanticized idea we had about how this was going to look, right? Absolutely. And I think Along with flexibility, if we're going to talk directly to that shame part of ourselves that like whispers all of these really painful things, like 
during these difficult moments about who we are, about what kind of parent we are, about our situation. I think what shame oftentimes really calls for is connection and vulnerability. And also in that, like asking myself, where did this belief come from? That like, Mm. this is how I should be feeling or I shouldn't feel like this is so hard. Like, what about like, this feels hard because it is hard. What about like, I, here in the US, I am not getting enough support (laughs) on so many fronts as a working parent. It really is supportive for me to kind of externalize that part of me that whispers these things to me, this shame part, this shame voice, and like really contextualize it. Like, where did I get these beliefs from? When I begin to see Mm. that, it really starts to put it in perspective and I start to be able to position again. It's similar to this other visual of my partner and I side, you know, shoulder to shoulder. What if I like scooped up that part of me that feels so much shame and side to side looked out into the world around me (laughs) at all of the societal factors that are contributing to why this feels so shitty and being able to actually look out and say, huh, like, that's actually not okay. Like maybe maybe I have anger around some of these things because it does feel like I'm not getting enough support. And I know mm. that when we meet, when we are able to show these parts of ourselves and talk about these things with the people who have earned the right to be in that like vulnerable space with us, whoever that might be, a natural support or a you know professional support, shame has a really hard time growing and festering in that space. And so- I think it really helps to kind of first contextualize like these feelings that we're having, these beliefs that we're having, these whispers that we're sensing in ourselves, and then to be able to share those parts, share those things with those around us. And what that can look like is I'm feeling blank. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling really sad. I'm feeling like I need a break. I'm feeling whatever the case might be, I'm feeling blank and I need blank, right? Like just Mm. really beginning to have those direct conversations with support, with an understanding of where all these sticky beliefs are kind of coming from in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're taking me right into some of the intensive mothering stuff that comes up where we've got this current state of mothering and It's the messages and norms that we receive about our role. So if it feels hard to transition back to work, it's because it is hard for a few reasons. Intensive mothering and the perfect mother myth and this good mother we're trying to strive to be is one who is the primary caregiver for their child, self-martyring, who drops everything at the cost of her own like mental health and well-being, all of the things. Proximity, always there at every soccer practice, at everything. Like if we're driving down the highway, the billboards of motherhood advertising the beliefs and norms are saying these things. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you know, but shouldn't you be at home with your child? And oh, but though, like, are you really going to take on that Mm -hmm. project and miss that school play or that soccer practice? So going back into work and reconciling our identity as a working mother with this set of beliefs, as you said, that we've been handed, that is hard. And I just want to like call that out and validate that for people. Like it feels hard because there is something about 
leaving your child that makes you feel like a bad mom or like it's counterintuitive to your role or being nurturing or being maternal enough. And that is a myth and it's an outright lie and it is a part (laughs) of intensive mothering and this ideology that we have unintentionally been opted into. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of underneath there for so many of us. And it's so hard if we don't recognize that we've internalized all these messages and billboards this whole time. So we're Mm -hmm. like, why do I feel so crummy leaving my baby and going back to work? I'm sure there are also other layers to it, but this is a really big one. This is a big one. I love this visual of these billboards. And so kind of what I picture is like, okay, you're driving down the road and you've got all these billboards with all of these like societal messages, discourses around what it means to be a mom, lots of gender stuff out there, up Mm -hmm. there on those billboards that you're driving by and you're taking it all in. I would also say that like as you're driving down, let's say you're driving down a street, I kind of see like Instagram and social media as like people like outside their houses, like sharing like they're like, look at how beautiful this is. Like, look at how great this moment is. And like, you know, just the curated highlight reels that we see there and and also just like tons of information too. So just like, oh my gosh, like it is so overwhelming out there, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the car, like let's say you're in the driver's seat. And then in the car are like all of your feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. And the back seat, you've got fear and anxiety and grief and sadness and anger. Like, you know, let's say guilt is pointing to the billboards. Like, look it, look it. That's what a good mother should be doing. And Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, and you're in the front seat. And maybe in the right next to you, you have like joy and presence, like these other emotions and parts of yourself. But it's so hard to hold space for those things. When all of that is going on, like mm-hmm. this is just mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> like, let's just name that. Like, yeah, the, the millennial parent is like freaking navigating a lot of shit. And as we're driving down, what can sometimes happen then is like guilt is like, you know, pointing or shame is pointing to those billboards and it's like, you know, scoot over, like, let me jump in the driver's seat. You know, you've got your partner doing their thing and anger is like, oh, hell no. And anger jumps in the driver's seat because maybe you're feeling really unsupported or unseen, but anger jumps in the driver's seat. Whew, a lot. Mm -hmm. And the question is like, what do we do? Like, what do we do with all that? Well, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of work there that we, I think there's there's big picture work that needs to be done like at a big societal level. But I think in your car, I know you and I have done an episode on your podcast around values. And what I oftentimes Mm -hmm. will talk to people about is like, all right, all these parts of you are coming along for the ride. These billboards are going to be out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like the air you breathe in, these messages. So we got to identify like what do we have control around, right? How can we relate to our feelings in a way that keeps us in the driver's seat? Like I love anger. Anger at its core is saying those billboards are effed up. Like, that's right. not right. It's our communicator. It's a little messenger to us. Like, no, this doesn't feel good for you. Something yeah. is going on here. Yeah. Exactly. That's the part, that, like what you were saying earlier, like this doesn't feel right because it's not right. Like, yeah. I I should be getting more support than this. Like, this feels hard because it is hard. And like these systems around me are screwed up, right? Like, I love that about anger. So I don't want to get any of these parts of myself out of the car. Like, they're not going anywhere anyway. I'm a human. Mm-hmm. I'm wired for all of them. <laughs> but what I do want to do is stay in the driver's seat. So when anger pops up and is like, screw that billboard with that message about what a good mom should look like that is making me feel like shit, I want to say, hey, anger, 
yeah, thank you for that data about this experience, right? That's very validating. Mm. But I am going to stay in the driver's seat and I'm going to turn to my GPS, which I'm going to say are my values, the things that mm-hmm. matter most to me. And I'm going to turn to that to support me in deciding what am I going to do next? I, with all the data that I have with the emotions around me, keeping them in the backseat, seeing it as like just a data messenger. And now I'm going to make a call, make a decision about what a boundary is going to be or about where I need to ask for support or about if I'm going to move forward with the decision or I'm going to make a change here. I'm going to turn to my values and I'm going to see what here do I want to prioritize and how can that inform this next step for me? And so if people want to learn more about this value stuff, because it just sounds, I don't know if it's hokey, but it just sounds like vague. This is like, there's real tangible stuff that you can do there that can support you like in the moment in making Mm -hmm. these decisions and navigating these transitions and in navigating your relationships that I think is really, really impactful and kind of like everything, like at the core. Foundational. Yeah. 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 Um, So folks can go and and tune into that episode that you and I have together on your your podcast. That's episode 106. Yeah. Discovering your personal core values. And I think that it really does come back down to that. It wasn't until my husband and I sat with, okay, like, what do we think being a good mom and a dad look like without all the noise, without all the billboards, without all the media, without all the flashy stuff that are like, you know, trying to get our attention? What does that look like to us? And as we embrace that more and as we have those conversations, I actually started to work more and invest in a different way. And he actually started to scale back from work in different ways. And we actually started to create our own roles and flow that is so not what is typically modeled. Mm -hmm. But we had to figure out how to limit the noise or turn down the dial on the noise and really fine and tune into those values to be able to do that. So I think that's a really great place for people to go. And like, what is your definition of a good mom? What does that look like to you? And really like even visualizing, you know, in your mind. And it's a little tricky because those beliefs, those intensive mothering beliefs are woven in there and they've been sort of handed over to us. Yeah. But if you tune into the values episode, as we talked about, and really get into like the heart center of some of these things, it gives you direction. Mm. And I think direction gives some certainty that feels like there's some control in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And you understand the purpose of it more, like what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, totally. And I think doing that work also individually and then coming together as a couple, if you are partnered, can be really supportive too mm-hmm. in kind of figuring out what the priorities are going to be and talking about the division of labor in the home and shared responsibility. And also kind of helps us understand like, you know, why certain things are important to our partner when we're just like, why is it such a big deal to you? Right. It just, it deepens those conversations. It brings context and understanding, which then can really support us as a couple in like, you know, figuring these things out. And also for like, for instance, for my husband and I, it's also helped us like divide labor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in our home, you know, my husband does the grocery shopping, he does the dishes, he does the laundry. And in our home, like that really works. Because of the things that he values really aligned with those roles. And, you know, what that also leaves space for is a recognition and an honoring that, like, a lot of the things that I'm doing, like, he does a lot of the visible tasks, like, 
to be fair, to be honest. Like mm-hmm. people look from the outside, they're like, he's doing all the things. But it really leaves space for the invisible mental load that I carry. And there's an honoring that like he's doing these things that are visible, but we made a conscious decision for him to do those things because we recognize a lot of the invisible load that I'm carrying. And there's, you know, not to say that there isn't flexibility there and we share, we do our best to share these things and to talk about it, but it really aligned with the things that were important to me, you know, too. And so it really did support us in, mm. in being able to kind of make these calls, but doing it consciously and intentionally, right? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes couples don't even know where to start in having these conversations, but you've got your free resource. It is free and downloadable. And it's like cards, conversation prompts, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not a physical product, so it's like not actual cards, but it's like you could print it out and they'll look like cards, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to make it free. And so, yeah, if you download those, they're conversation starters. People just don't know where to start to like have these conversations as one or both of you are going back to work. And I do the work for you and just like setting the stage, you know, it's like you could, you know, every night do a couple of these cards and questions just to get conversations going. And I think by the end of it, you guys will be in a much better place and put a lot of protective factors in place for your relationship and for both of you as you make this big transition. Mm-hmm. And we'll make sure to link those in the show notes. And I encourage everybody who's listening to go and check out your platform, your Instagram page, your Holding Space podcast, and like introduced me to the world of podcasting when I was still a therapist back in a group practice, like, you know, and uh, a really valuable, amazing platform that you have out there for people. So I encourage them to connect with you and all the resources you have to offer. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much, Erica. Yeah, people can also learn more about my private practice. I have a virtual practice in California. Anyone who's based in California, we can see and they can learn more at drcassidymft.com. That's a great hub for folks to find the podcast and recorded workshops, as well as, you know, links to Instagram and blog posts, all the good things. Mm -hmm. Courses, everything, all the things. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Erica, for having me. Isn't Dr. Cassidy so great? If you'd like to hear or learn more from her, you can check out her Holding Space podcast, where I've been a guest to talk about the invisible load, and she's been joined by several other guests and professionals to help you in your journey of self-development. I don't know exactly where you are in your motherhood journey, and I don't know all of the circumstances that you might face in your transition back to work, but I do know that our therapists can offer one-to-one support in managing this transition, especially if it's something that you're worried about or anxious about. To learn more about our wellness center, head to happyasamother.co slash wellness. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. I'll see you right back here. Same time, same place next week where I am being joined by marriage and family therapist, Travis Goodman. Travis is the founder of a platform called Therapy for Dads, and he's joining us to discuss dad's adjustment in the postpartum period, red flags to be on the lookout for, and ways we can help support dads on their own journey and adjustment to parenthood. You don't want to miss this chat. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. 
If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com ah mmm the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. <laughs>